You must tell me all your secrets. Remember, we must share everything together. Mangia, mia diletta sposa, devi rinforzarti. Mangia, devi rinforzarti per la notte d'amore che ti attende. Non c'è nulla di peggio che un alito privo di alcun odore. Eva. Eva, non posso, Eva. Welcome back to Girls, Guts, and Giallo. I'm Annie Rose Malamet, and today I'm joined by J.B. Brager. Right? I said your name right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I like. I get. I have a lot of anxiety about pronouncing people's <laughs> names correctly, and they're joining me today to talk about the infamous film Salo. Uh, J.B. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, what you're about? Sure. Um, so I am a, a history teacher and a comics artist. And I uh, am a member of the editorial collective for a gay communist magazine called Pinko. Um, I do a lot of stuff. I have my hands in a lot of pots, I guess. <laughs> um who I am, I mean, at my core, I am a um, tiny dog parent. That's my full identity. <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> that's it. That's all you need to know. About. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so the um, a big part of the, the area of history that I study is uh, histories of, of fascism and genocide, um, which comes into play with this film that we're talking about today does it ever (laughs) absolutely so this is a really intense movie um a lot of people probably haven't even seen it but have definitely if you're into cult films or horror films have seen or have heard of it it's on a lot of like most controversial films of all time or like mm. most horrifying films of all time yeah and what's interesting is that it's also in the criterion collection Absolutely, so yeah. you know in the vi- the vi diagram the venn diagram of you know uh people who are trying to watch the entire criterion collection and people who want to watch torture porn it's right there in the middle so uh and you know i fall into that category (laughs) for sure why did you pick uh solo i mean you've kind of said how it relates to your interests i mean when did you first see this and what we what did how did you feel about it when you saw it yeah um i came to to solo um and the the subtitle of the film is 120 days of sodom um a little bit late in my film watching history um so i didn't watch it until i was a few years into my phd program um 
and I was uh, super interested in Nazi exploitation films. So films mm. like The Night Porter and Ilsa Shewoof of the SS. Um, and I also just, uh, in terms of my film, like uh, in terms of my scholarship, I was interested in, in those films. And in terms of my film interests, I love uh, like queer cinema. I love Fast Finders, Corel. I love uh, like Fellini, you know, like uh, Derek Jarman. Um, and uh, Salo just kept kind of coming up in um, in a lot of my reading about about uh, all of these other films that I loved. And so I was like, okay, I have to see this. And I was associate, you know, I had um, a university library access. So I went and got the Criterion Collection <laughs> edition from the library uh, and, you know, pop, popped it into my, my laptop DVD player. Um, and uh, I was pretty enthralled. Like I, I kind of thought it was going to be sexy, which was another motivation to watch it. Me I was too. like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, there's these moments like uh, where you're like, all right, all right, okay, I can get into this. And yeah. then it's like, no, no, stop, no. No, yeah. anytime you feel like that, the movie intentionally disgusts you again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, there's no, there's no relief. Um, and I, I think that uh, that's one of the reasons why it really stuck with me. Um, I, you know, as, as someone who both like uh, intellectually um, and culturally uh, and personally is interested in like the eroticization of things that um, that are dark or painful or, you know, a um, little, little weird, uh, this movie like really exceeded some of my limits um and so uh so it it has stuck with me for a long time because of that um and I think when we I mean we've been talking about talking about this film for a long time <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> and uh when we when we first started uh or when we first discussed uh talking about Salo for the podcast um I think I was just like, oh, what's what's a film that people wouldn't have heard a lot about that um, that I think people should hear about? Um, and then, you know, kind of serendipitously, as as we've you know figured out our schedules and like finally gotten to talk to each other, it feels like exceptionally relevant in this moment because of all of the, I mean, not that resurgent fascism wasn't an issue before like the last few weeks, but particularly the way that um, right wing uh movements are kind of uh enacting violence particularly in um, chile and bolivia right now it feels really um relevant in these interesting ways that that we can talk about in terms of some of the weird historical connections um particularly between chile and italy that's a great point yeah (laughs) i would love to dive into all of that so on my end Uh, I had been reading about this film for a really long time on like message boards, MySpace message boards, forums for people who are really into art house and particularly like obscure horror. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was always one of those that was mentioned and I had seen images from it, but I had never watched it. 
And then I finally watched it. I checked it out of the library at my college and I watched it on a first date. Oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Um, and uh, they were horrified. <laughs> and um left my dorm room in complete horror (laughs) and that was the first time I saw it um and you know people have really strong reactions to this movie like I do want to preface this episode I think a lot of people listen to this podcast who haven't actually seen the movies that I'm talking about Mm -hmm. so I do want to preface this by saying that like anything you can think of that is horrible is in this movie (laughs) like it's pretty much it it definitely you know I wouldn't say it's exhaustive but it definitely uh, hits a lot of a lot of markers yeah and if you have a hard time hearing about any of that especially about the sexual abuse of minors then this is maybe not one that you should listen to um anyway i just i don't usually give content warnings on the podcast because i figure if you're listening to this then you have an interest in talking about things that are hard to talk about but i did want to give it with this movie because it is quite extreme for Mm -hmm. many people even people who like subversive film Mm -hmm. yeah i mean the whole conceit of the film is the content warning like right sorry could you repeat (laughs) that you went out a little bit oh i I just said like the whole conceit of the film like warrants the content warning like absolutely yeah (laughs) yeah i mean yeah the entire setup so just so the movie's from 1975. Uh, it was directed by Pierre Paolo Pasolini. Um, a bit on Pasolini, uh, he was an Italian film director, poet, writer, general intellectual, um, and he remains a controversial personality in Italy due to his blunt style and his exploration of taboo sexual matters. Uh, he is hugely important figure in European literature and cinema Uh, and he was murdered that's how he died and he was murdered right before the release of this film Um, and I really love Pasolini's films but I actually haven't really read his poetry or other writing have you I've read so I, I read a little bit of his poetry um while I was preparing to to talk about Salo. Um, and I, I think I tweeted at you about one of his, it's a, a line from one of his poems um, that is is quite famous because, you know, his politics were also um, something that people were very heavily invested in, particularly because Salo, you know, is, is this, he engages with uh, fascism in this really interesting way. Um, and he... Uh, he wrote a lot of, of poetry that um, that contained really complex like political ideology and and uh, affiliations um, and it is you know it is really beautiful um, I don't speak Italian and I, it sounds much better in Italian but um, yeah he, you know I would say he's, he's a good poet <laughs> what did, how would you describe his politics 
Um, so he was a leftist. Yeah. So he, I mean, he was pretty openly gay. Um, he, uh, grew up, uh, under fascism in Italy. Um, he, you know, experienced, um, uh, a lot of violence as a child. Um, his, his older brother was murdered by fascists. Um, and, uh, his brother was like a, a anti-fascist fighter killed in, in uh, 1945. Um, and yeah, he, his politics were, were um, pretty largely defined by class solidarity. Mm. Um, he, you know, so some of the, um, the like controversial politic that, that people sort of criticized him for was that he seemed to not be uh, supporting like the student movement um, of like 68, you know, the kind of like general like uprisings that were happening in the late sixties, um, in Italy as, as everywhere. Um, and it wasn't that he wasn't supporting, you know, this like, uh, leftist student uprising. It's that he was like, these are the children of the bourgeoisie and I have sympathy for the ways in which the children of the poor are forced into, uh, the military and the police. Uh, and you know they're they're forced into these these roles of violence and opposition um, because that that's what happens, right? Right. Um, and so you know for him there was like a lot of pain in in seeing like the people who should right rightfully be at you know at, at the vanguard of the revolution being counter revolutionary because of the way that that class works um, under you know entrenched capitalism globally. <laughs> Thank so. you for yeah. that summary. I mean, his politics are obviously really, really important to this film. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think I think that actually the missing piece for me that I don't know a lot about is his relationship to women. And yes. I think that's going to be really, <laughs> you know, uh, that, that remains to be seen. Yeah, because he was a gay man. Yeah. Um, you know... I don't want to erase the fact that he was a pederast. <laughs> like he did have a relationship with an underage boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, like all this stuff is really complicated. Uh, he was murdered, like I said, right before the release of the film. Uh, he was run over several times with a car. And a 17-year-old boy confessed to the murder, but recanted in 2005. Um, And he said, actually, that three men murdered Pasolini. And it is thought that perhaps his his death might be linked to Salo. um, Mm -hmm. Because apparently some of the rolls of film were stolen. And some people think that an extortionist who was, you know, maybe had some political friction with mm-hmm. Pasolini was, was the one who murdered yeah. him. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of mystery uh, shrouding uh, his, his death. Like, you know, p- people blame the mafia, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that, that certainly there would have been a number of people who would have not minded him being dead. Right. Oh, and to your point about his relationship with women, I actually do have a quote here from, hold on, I want to get the full citation here, Um, an interview with Pasolini on set 
uh, when he was filming Solo. And it's from Film Quarterly. Uh, And he said to the interviewer, liberty and heterosexual relationships has become obligatory. That liberty is a form of exploitation, a dictatorship of conformity. The couple has become an obsession, an incubus. Young people feel they must couple off. This is also a misuse of sex, and it is also like in Dasad, a misuse in the service of power and of the exploitation of the human body. The body is forced, sold into a position which dehumanizes its soul. So that's how he feels about heterosexuality. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, he's definitely, I mean, that that forcing, he's not, he's, he's, I would extrapolate that he's thinking of, you know, men being forced into that position yes not yeah not women yeah Yeah. so uh i think you know i mean and this film like there is a lot of misogyny in this film and it's hard to parse out sometimes whether that is part of the overall message about exploitation of power or if that is pasolini's misogyny yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely one of those films where, where, you know, in, in every scene it's like, okay, is this part of the satire or is this, is this, you know, Pasolini uh, oozing in with his own, his own belief system. Um, and I mean, there's so many layers to that. Cause first of all, like Salo, it is, it's based on a book by Mar- Marquise de Sade. So yes. there is source material, which he is, I mean, he- pretty heavily departs from, but also is is very um, faithful to in a lot of ways. Um, and then, you know, there's this layer of of uh, political and social critique. And then also there's the context of like, he did grow up under fascism where like literally there was like, you know, uh, uh, a very intense gendered structure to fascist Italy um you know they had a a bachelor tax and a war for births you know like (laughs) like i did not know that yeah it was like mandatory to get married and have children like for the state right so that Um, makes a lot of sense that he feels that way yeah yeah and then of course you know even outside of of the history of fascism italy is a super catholic country right um there's there's a lot of factors shaping uh his his views, not just of heterosexual relationships, but also of, of women. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. Um, so like you were saying, Salo is a loose adaptation of the unfinished Marquis de Sade book, 120 days of Sodom, which Sade wrote while imprisoned. That book is about a bunch of upper class, um, men and women who kidnap a bunch of children and take them to a secluded mansion and sexually abuse them. So, I mean, making anything based on the work of the Marquis de Sade is really difficult. I mean, a lot of people, they say when they first saw this movie that they, they saw it because they couldn't imagine any of that book being committed to the screen. So like we were saying, the film explores themes of political corruption, capitalism, nihilism, morality, exploitation, uh, 
and sadism and fascism. So mm-hmm. a lot going on there. <laughs> so uh, many things. It premiered at the Paris Film Festival on November 23rd, 1975. And it had a brief theatrical run in Italy before being banned. And it was released in the U.S. in 1977. Uh, and because it depicts young people being subjected to graphic violence, uh, it's been controversial to this day um and was only recently unbanned in australia so it's uh it's one of those really famous like banned films um censored whatever so anything else um oh the the production of it was unusual the actors say that despite the subject matter that the set was quite jovial (laughs) and Pasolini would actually also feed the actors their lines right before the camera started rolling so that's why some of the acting is strange at times because they only knew their line right before they said it yeah and there, there's actually like a documentary of the making mm-hmm. and so you can hear him sh- like you can you can you know watch this film like where it looks like they're torturing people to death and you hear him just shouting like open your robe more burn his penis <laughs> like (laughs) so you've seen the documentary i wasn't able to find it okay good i found it i'll send it to you because i found it on youtube it was like um yeah it chunks on youtube um but i mean another i think notable thing in terms of production is that pasolini like fellini didn't actually care about casting actors he was like really invested in the aesthetic of the people in his films and so one thing that i thought was very funny is like there's all of these um there's all of these numerical parallels in the film so there's four um old whores there's the four daughters um and then there's the four studs and then of course the four libertines right but um and then there's well there's supposed to be is there it's is it supposed to be nine of each of boys and girls, but then one of each dies before they get there? Yes. Yeah. So it so it ends up being like you know all these like fours, but um, for the the studs like in in uh in Saad's um Salo like they're the whole thing and. Pasolini was like really upset because he couldn't find anyone that looked in the face the way that he wanted to them to but also had a giant cock and so he just like (laughs) in the end he was like he was like it's this in this world like you have to pick one or the other it's horrible you know it's like you can't have everything um and he like he like blamed it on progress he was like you know these days you can't like get you know yeah and And so he like cast these boys that he like liked their faces basically and made them wear prosthetic penises. Oh. To, so they look super hung. Yeah, the dicks are huge in this movie. Yeah, monstrous. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that okay, so they're not real. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh yeah, I mean the other thing I want to say is that you are probably going to be better with all the characters in this movie i had a really hard time following who was who even after like multiple viewings of this movie um but you know sometimes you can tell because of the dick (laughs) (laughs) yeah i 
I mean, af- after watching this film many times, there's some characters where I'm like, okay, I can, I've established who this is, but like, I can never remember, like, you know, the for the um, the libertines, like, one is a, the president, one is like the minister of something, one right. is a bishop, and I can't, I can't keep them straight. That I actually all. did manage to get, right. but <laughs> but like the um, and I do know the horrors names. But the 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 collaborators and the, I, mm-hmm. I sometimes have a hard time telling between the collaborators and the studs. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's hard to tell between the collaborators and the victims when they're clothed. And I think that's or when they're not clothed. And I think that's very much on purpose. Also. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. And also the between the daughters and the female victims um, have a very hard time telling who is who. Mm-hmm. And yeah, at, at the beginning... Yeah. Oh, I don't know anyone's names also. Yeah, I mean the you know some of them I remember their names just cuz I don't know why. Like there there's one character whose name uh who's named Fatima and I think that that's really interesting because um you know I I was like thinking about the history of um of Islam in Italy, you know, like <laughs> oh, she's like kind of the the most uh, of the victims, she's like the only one who is is racialized. And she seems targeted in a particular way because she um, she's scalped. Right. Um, yeah. And, yeah. So and she's also the one that like the the beardy guy pulls to pee on him. Yes. Yeah. All anyway, right, let's, let's get into this, it. This is just, yeah. These are these are like little, you know, teasers. <laughs> for, for <listeners>. Teasers. <laughs> what you have coming. Yeah, for what's about to come. The film opens with this kind of like banal pop music uh, over the credits. Um, I also noticed that uh, the costumes are done by Danilo Donati, who I've mentioned before on this podcast, also did the costumes for Caligula. So that was significant to me. Yeah. So he was around. Um, Yeah. The costumes are amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. the bibliography there's also a bibliography at the beginning of every source that Pasolini is using in this film I think it's like the only film I could think of that has a bibliography uh and also uh Roland Barth is is um cited in this bibliography uh which was interesting because he kind of had an essay about why he didn't feel the film was successful in its attempt to talk about fascism. Um, Simone de Beauvoir, uh, de Beauvoir is on there and um, Nietzsche. <laughs> and now we open with the first, the first part, which is the, the, so, oh, the other thing we didn't mention is that the acts of this film are based on Dante's Inferno, which Pasolini mm, yeah, yeah. believed Saad was trying to do in his book. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a very literary filmmaker. Yes. Makes sense because he's also a writer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the first part is the anti-Inferno. And we open in 1944 in the Republic of Salo, which is in northern fascist-occupied Italy. So that's very significant. And this group of four men is sitting at a table and they're deciding something of great importance. And they're all signing off on this document. And these four libertines, 
uh, are the the duke, the bishop, the magistrate, and the president. And they are going to be There the leaders, we go. yeah, of this whole thing. Uh, one of them says, all things are good when carried to excess, which is a direct sod quote. And the, the we now start to move into like more of the, the violence of the movie immediately. There's a group of young men dressed in Italian fascist uniforms and they're chasing a group of male children. Um, so basically what's happening is like all of these soldiers are rounding up local peasant children. Mm, actually, so they're not that. So, okay. They're not peasants. Okay. This is, yeah. So this is actually something. And th so the first time that I saw this, I thought that they were the children of like leftist oppositions. Like I thought they were communist children. Okay. And, and one of them, one of them, is, but they're actually all super bourgeois. Okay. That, so, yeah. And so, so the reason that I thought that that was really interesting is because there's like this really fascinating thing in it, like this, um, this like thread throughout Pasolini's poetry of like, you know, hating on the children of the bourgeoisie. And so I, th I think that there's something particular because there's, a, there's a scene where he like goes through and they're like, yeah, I've been like trying to get this one for years, you know, like his, his father's in this is in the, um, I don't know, Senate or whatever, you know, like yeah, whatever it he's is. He's a rival. And yeah. Um, and And I think that, like, it, it feels very telling, particularly with the inclusion of their own daughters right? in that, uh, like, um, that there's something, like, about generational violence. Oh, yeah. 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 So that's, I mean, yeah, that's what happens right after this is the men all agree to marry each other's daughters as the first step in this like debauched ritual that they're performing Yeah. and the their 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 soldiers their guards kidnap their daughters really roughly and like immediately are manhandling them and like spitting in their faces and one of them even says I'm sorry I was told to do that and that's so he was told to do that by one of their fathers Right. Right. Um, And there's actually also there's four weddings in the film. <laughs> oh my god. This movie is laid in. yeah it really is there's just so I mean you could have an entire class on just this movie honestly um Truly. so yeah that was the other thing when I was trying to get ready for this I was like oh my god where do I even begin it's like there's so much here so all of these young boys are being lined up for inspection and examined and that this is when I started to notice for the first time this really weird way that the boys are kind of like laughing at this predicament are they now picking the Who are they picking right now? The collaborators, the the studs. Who do they pick first? Is it the, is it the victims? They are the victims. Yeah, the Okay. the collaborators and the studs are already They're already there. there. Like, Yeah. yeah, we don't see them being like recruited. Um, they're. I mean, I think that there's like a, 
um, an element of nihilism, particularly for the boys, like um, the uh, all the kind of like resistance that you see um, and the like crying and the like being upset is mostly from the girls right like it's the girls that like you know uh have the illicit love affair who like say they can't take it anymore who kill them cry out to god going through it yeah Yeah. and the boys are like they laugh they cry silently yes about masculinity and some of them like like are kind of into it (laughs) couple of them yeah and actually Pasolini said in this interview in film quarterly that he wanted to have victims that you can't sympathize with as victims so Mm -hmm. that's part of the message here is like the complicity of the victims and um yeah like the boys really exemplify that the way that they kind of like laugh the whole the thing off and um it's just very strange and disturbing and they're all uh immediately ordered to take their clothes off so that we get like the first dicks of the movie um so there's this is when i started to also notice the way that the shots are like there's some there's these weird shots that are through windows Mm-hmm. Um, where there's no sound, so you're you're in the position of a voyeur looking in on this, which I found really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Very much calls attention to the artifice of the film. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of um, there's also a lot of doorways and stairwells mm-hmm. um, and and mirrors as well. Um, yeah, and I like the whole like palace that they're in. It's like super art deco, right? Um, and and also like very like muted gray tones. You know, like everything feels like a set. Yes, yeah, and he did mention that in that interview as well. Um, so there's now we get more inspection, and the the girls are getting the same treatment. And that's when we see that now the the four libertines are also uh, being aided by these four aging women, these middle-aged sex workers, (laughs) prostitutes. Yeah. Um, I, it's, I don't, it feels weird to refer to these like evil women as sex workers. They're like, yeah, I, they're, yeah, I don't, that I know that that's like the, the, the better term but they're four old whores uh and i mean they are yeah i mean first of all just in terms of like the the characters that's like how how they're described and like sod and and also Pasolini. yes but also yeah they're like they're heinous bitches like you know their their job is to go and i mean they're sex traffickers right their job is to go and procure like young virgins to be like tortured and murdered by rich powerful men and they are like delighting in it and they are actually the instigators of a lot of the violence because like their job is to tell stories to inspire these men to to like new heights of of uh, sadistic creativity 
Yes. Um, and they, they're happy to oblige. Um, and you know, it's also in the, these inspection scenes that you see, like there's a girl that they're like really excited about and then they realize she's missing a tooth. Yes. And so she's, she's turned away. Right. Because they, there's this fascinating thing where like they want to defile perfection, right? Like they, they want to start with like a perfect palette for, to, you know, to be slowly destroyed. Yes. Um, and this, this is so they're, let's, okay, let's break down the (laughs) hierarchy of this situation a little bit. So there are the four libertines, um, then there are the four whores, then under them, there are the, uh, there are four studs who are chosen specifically because they have large dicks and who are also they also act as like guards soldiers yeah i mean they're definitely like fascist soldiers yes they're just fascist soldiers with giant penises yes and then there's also four collaborators so those are young younger men who are also delighting in this and participating Mm -hmm. in it and then there are the nine young men and the nine young women um and then of course two of them die on the way so then there's eight so uh oh also in this inspection scene this is kind of important one of the girls breaks down crying because her mother is dead and everyone seems delighted by this yeah because her mother was killed in in pursuit of her yes right that they were they were trying to kidnap her and her mother tried to protect her and so they they killed the mother yes and everyone thinks it's hilarious yeah they love it so everyone arrives at this palatial villa um, with the teens in, in tow and the four yeah. women and the Duke, who is kind of almost like the leader of the four libertines, uh, tells the group of young people that they're there to do whatever they ask of them and that they are lowly and no one is coming to save them. So now this is when we start to get the rules of all of this. And if you and if you disobey the rules as one of these young people, you get your name written in the punishment book. Um, so at 6 a.m. every morning, everyone is to meet in the orgy room where these four women are going to tell tales and like you said, inspire these men to new heights of depravity. The t- the stories are supposed to turn them on and make them want to do all the fucked up stuff they do. Uh, they're also mm-hmm. servants. And they're all um, people of color. And they are immediately kind of being menaced, shot at. And uh, one of the studs makes eye contact with one of the maids and they have a moment and that will become significant later Mm -hmm. so now we're in the circle of manias that's like the true first part of all of this and one of the whores senora vicari 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 okay i'm terrible pronunciation she's descending the stairs in a fabulous gown and uh, another woman is playing the piano and she's uh, she's telling a story about 
being molested as a child. And the first thing that happens is one of the men interrupts saying the story isn't detailed enough. Uh, and Vicari goes on. And as this is happening, one of the men takes a boy into another room. And he returns moments later unsatisfied and raving. And the boy is crying. And he's frustrated and wants the boy to be punished. So this is kind of like the theme of how all of these meetings in the orgy room go uh one of the women starts to tell a tale and one of the four libertines gets turned on and tries to um sexually assault one of the victims so that's a common theme here um there's also a lot of talk in the scene about, like, the difference between a man and a woman's anus. And, like, sometimes a woman's anus just won't satisfy. The Okay, the girls' uh, victims are, like, serving everybody food. Uh, one of them is immediately tripped by a guard. Mm-hmm. It's the daughters, so that's how you know at the beginning okay. it's just the four daughters. Yes, yeah. so the four daughters, their rule is that they're always supposed to be naked at all times. So that's how you can distinguish between the daughters and the female victims right. is that sometimes the female victims are wearing clothes, but the daughters are never yeah. wearing clothes. <laughs> um, yeah. And is she so she and she's immediately raped by one of the studs um and this is like such a bizarre scene too because the president starts bending everybody over and or no he starts bending over and asking everybody to look at his ass (laughs) and uh then the the stud who was raping one of the daughters then fucks him and everybody sings a nationalist anthem so what which the song I, I don't know actually is is this when they sing the bridge of parati maybe it's yeah so so i think it is because it's i don't remember another scene where they're singing yeah it so probably is. um yeah so the on the bridge of parati it's not a fascist song um, okay and it's it's actually it's a song that apparently pasolini really liked but the like key line of the song is um the best of youth is being buried that's like they sing that like over and over again mm. um and it is like it's like a sad song i guess about like war but um it's it's really about like this like sacrificing youth okay i wasn't getting the impression that it was fascist but i was getting the impression yeah. that the song was patriotic in yeah, some way yeah it definitely it definitely is like song for sure and is is it in that scene where before that happens there's like chatter on the radio uh that is like a nazi broadcast or is that oh the next yeah that that might be the next scene actually um but yeah there are a lot there's the radio comes up a lot in this movie yeah uh so one girl so this is when one girl is found dead her neck is slit um, so that's one down of the victims. And Signora Vicari tells a story about the, the next day in the orgy room. This tells a story about the first time she had mm-hmm. anal sex. And the four libertines kind of wax poetic about fascism, say some very interesting things. So there's like this contest also about of these two, like this young girl and this young boy. Um, they're like 
they they want to see if they can come effectively <laughs> and one of the horrors is uh, like pleasuring the boy and one of those soldiers there's uh, pleasuring the girl or maybe it's vice versa I don't know there's a lot of like depraved shit that happens in this movie um and basically the the outcome of this is that they end up having a mock wedding ceremony between the mm -hmm. boy and the girl Sergio and Renata I believe during which the duke um sexually terrorizes all the naked boys and girls in the room and uh yeah so i just wanted to talk a little bit about weddings in this movie cuz this is the second wedding mhm mm and what do you think about that like what it what's going on with that yeah i mean it it kind of goes back to that quote that you had from uh pasolini where he's talking about like the the tyranny of uh of the heterosexual couple right um that he is like satirizing that very intentionally um through these weddings the four weddings the first is that the four libertines marry each other's daughters um for the purpose of binding them together mm -hmm. um as family even though two of them are already brothers um so they're they may or may not be marrying their nieces. Right. Um, and uh, the second wedding is these these two children having proven that they uh, that they you know uh, basically proven their adult status through right. this um, through this uh, f forced coming. Mm -hmm. um, they are like, oh great, you're adults now. Now you can get married and have sex. And they're like. Oh, okay and so <laughs> they have this like weird mock wedding and Im immediately they're like all right now you two have to have sex with each other like touch each other yeah they're all watching them and they start to like cuddle a little and kiss and as soon as they like actually start to touch each other and then, get into uh, it yeah 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 then uh the um the libertines respond with like total rage and then they um they like run up and sexually assault then are fucking each other on top of them. So right. that's the first wedding. Um, and I, I mean, I think that that it begins to reveal a number of things. One is that, you know, the horror of the film is like literally in this like excess that is outside of um, desire or pleasure, right? That, that the horror of the film is like the never ending rape of the film, right? um that you know it's not a rape revenge film like no one no one gets their comeuppance in the end it's just like endless violence and whenever anyone expresses actual desire um it's responded to with violence right senora vicari uh tells a story about a another client from the past who used to make her uh act like a dog and play fetch and uh and then we see these naked boys and girls on leashes forced to act like dogs and beg for scraps. They're kind of like bizarrely enthusiastic about it. Um, there's a lot of push and pull in this film between like, there's just no real grasp of anyone's actual inner psychology <laughs> except maybe the four libertines i don't know it's just very like i was very struck by how 
a person like how the the children just kind of like go along with everything um and this is kind of one of one of those in instances um and one boy is yeah, also well, oh I'm... go ahead oh I, I mean i think i was gonna say probably what you were gonna say which is that like when we see moments of like uh, assertion or resistance, it, it's again met with like extreme violence, right? So the one boy who's like, no, I'm like gonna get up, immediately starts getting whipped, right? Very, yes. quite, um, ter terribly. And, um, you know, yeah, there's there's not like an out. The, it's very apparent from, you know, not not just from the warning given to them that like no one cares about them and like you know there's no getting out but just everything about the situation is hopeless yes so i think that there's like another layer of hopelessness that we see you know like through um i mean we we know when the film is set but also you know there's these moments like one of the um one of the whores is like getting ready in a room and she's like kind of looking out the window and we, we don't see anything, but we hear the sound of planes. Mm -hmm. And there's these moments where we have these reminders that the world is burning around them, right? That like, this is, this is the final days of, you know, the fascist Italian German puppet state, right? Like, right. Um, and so, so, even even if they escaped, like what are they escaping to? Uh, it's a great it's point. The, the, the world, right? Like, Where are they gonna go? So and yeah, the I didn't even think about the sounds that are happening outside of the villa, um, and the radio also is a way that it serves to kind of remind us of the situation outside of these walls as well. What do you think is the significance of this being set at the end of all of fascist Italy and not um, the middle of it or yeah. the beginning? I think what it is, is that it's, it's a moment of um, the, a complete breakdown of normalcy like that occurs towards the end of any like in the desperation of the end of any totalitarian regime um and so you have this moment where like uh you know and and fascism is is less an ideology right like there's nothing kind of there's no inherent belief system around uh fascism except like violence and total power um and so my headphones are about to die. Oh no! Should I just take them off and talk? Yeah, it's at you? okay. Yeah. Or is, it, is this is this okay? Also, that's actually better. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. All of the you know belief systems that uh, Il Duce and you know the, the fascist party um, are kind of upholding in um, in fascist Italy, like all of that is stripped away, and what's left is the spectacle of fascism, and that's just ultra violence, total power, you know, uh, at some point, one of the liberty, like fascism is, is like the, what does he say? Um, uh, fascism is the only real anarchism, right? Yes. Like yeah. <laughs> that, that they, because uh, everything has like broken down, they're able to enact their fantasy of the world um, mm. because they have all of the power and 
it's their kingdom, right? Like it doesn't matter what anyone's doing anywhere else, um, even within Italy, because it's the end of the world. <laughs> yeah, good point. And what are some of your thoughts? I mean, you were mentioning in the beginning of the, the relationship between Italy and Chile. What were you thinking? What What are your some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I mean, so I was thinking about it um, in in a couple of ways. As uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess the primary connection that I was thinking with Chile is that um, so this film came out in '75, um, and it it's this particular moment, not just of like a you know kind of explosion of like uh, like sexual sexually violent film um and like like a lot of these like nazi exploitation films are from the 70s um like night porter uh 74 um uh ilsa she wolf of the ss is 75 um and also uh derek jarman's uh sebastian is 76 mm-hmm. um but also like in it's this moment of like uh uh intense um counter revolution um so like in 1973 there's the u.s backed coup in chile um, of the um the dictator um uh, pinochet and he you know is um infamous for uh sadistic torture um <laughs> of uh, young leftists and students um among many other people but he, um, his regime had direct ties to neo-fascism in Italy. Um, and a lot of like the fascist, uh, they, they borrowed a lot from fascist Italy. And so it's just kind of this like interesting historical parallel um, that, that has felt, I guess, just kind of is at the forefront of my mind because of the uprising that's happening in Chile, mm-hmm. um, you know, where uh, the current president who is, is elected, but is a, is a right-wing president has direct familial ties to the dictatorship. Um, and you know, the, the military has been mobilized against the people of Chile for the first time since ship. Um, and you know, the, the news is like full of, of violence. Um, so it just feels, um, I don't know, kind of pressure. I don't know, pressing. Oh, absolutely, present. yeah. And I mean, not to like be, you know, the risk of being hyperbolic. Like, fascism is having a moment here as well. So obviously, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, I don't want to in any way equate like the what's happening in Chile and Bolivia to what's happening here but it is like obviously significant that this yeah. we're having this zeitgeist uh yeah and i mean people are are drawing those ties not just because you know what's happening in Chile and Bolivia is like directly tied to us foreign policy um and and the the impact that the U.S. has had on on uh, Central and South America, but also that you know, like um, uh, Chileans are paying a lot of attention to what's happening in New York City um, because of 
the uh, the way in which um, police violence and and fare hikes, particularly around uh, uh, public transit, have had such a huge impact in in what's happening um, in terms of protests in New York and in Santiago, right? That um, like fare evasion is a huge part of like both both movements, you know? Right. Um, Right. I think that there is a lot of like, you know, it's not equating what's happening in these places, but thinking about transnational solidarity. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, equating is in like the amount of like. Um, yeah. I mean, fewer, just the amount fewer, of violence people are experiencing. Yeah. 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 Fewer are losing eyes than in, in Chile. Um, Go, but sorry, but, could you say that yeah, again? I, I mean, I think that. I said fewer people are currently losing eyes in New York than in right. Santiago. Yes. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think that it does like, you know, be- because I, I study um, uh, totalitarian states and I study violence um, and I also am involved in, in BDSM and King community uh, and I've had this conversation, you know, like with Tina Horn, for example, about um, her comic Safe Sex, that you think about, um, you know, the the violence of these regimes, whether it's like the Italian fascist regime or Pinochet's dictatorship and the like horrific torture that um, that is enacted upon people, right? And it's like, uh, like you know the the kind of line between uh like fun fantasy and and you know horrific torture is like a the line of consent but also then that becomes like twisted in this weird way when you're creating your own world in film right yes like um and so like one of the things that um that i really love about this movie is like that it makes you really confront that line um, because like the line between um, like structural or systemic violence and and uh, desire in this really interesting way, um, because it it's like they are, you know, it's not um, in the film. It's not role play. It's like yes. very real, but then it's fiction. But and and it's called attention to many times that it's fiction. Yeah. So, because it's like you were saying, it's set up very much like a play. Like there's sets, there's the wooden quality of the actors as well. Um, There's it's it's not like we're not going for. I mean, it's neo realism in a lot of ways. Um, We're not going for like true naturalistic depictions here. And yeah, then of course there is like just. I mean, the word sadism comes from the Marquis de Sade, um, and that's also a complicated thing because the Marquis de Sade was, you know, like a rapist. Like he was not doing consensual BDSM with people, but we still use the words sadism and masochism when we talk about kink. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's like this movie sadomasochism is a symbol here rather than being actually depicted um 
But then, of course, there are people in the movie who are enjoying the things that are happening, like you were saying earlier, some of the boys. Um, so a lot of complicated questions about consent. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because then, I mean, when we think about, like, so what is the the consensual sex that happens in the film? There's the the sexual relationships between the libertines and the studs, which mm -hmm. are, like, you know... Uh, I mean, they consent seems complicated. Yes, uh, but is it? It seems more consensual. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess the film is asking if consent even like exists yeah. <laughs> in some yeah. ways. Yeah. yeah, but then so there's the relationship between two of the victims, the two girls, who are you know, I mean, we actually don't know what happens to them because they like disappear mm -hmm. um and i mean the presumption being you know they all die so right <laughs> one way or um but then the relationship between the stud and um the bishop or no sorry not the stud the collaborator and uh the servant mm. yeah yeah so that's that's like the one like real consensual adult relationship um in the film and that is based on like desire and not like right. a, a you know like between the two girls it's really a kind of about this experiencing this traumatic thing together and finding solace in each other and yeah. the relationship between the servant and the collaborator is more of a, a relationship based on sexual desire yeah and um, they they get ratted out yes Oh, yeah. That's actually my favorite scene. And they're, like, snarly executed. Yes. So now we get to the uh, the the second act, because the anti-Inferno is really, like, a prologue. The Circle of Manias is the first act. And then the second act, which is the Circle of Shit. And it is Senora Maggie's time to tell stories. <laughs> and she tells the story of a client, John, who had once wanted uh, to wear diapers and eat her shit. And she also talks about how she killed her mother. And uh, the Duke says that there's no reason to love your mother and that he also killed his mother. And uh you know we get like kind of the breaking down here of mainstream social relationships uh like kill your parents doesn't matter nothing matters um and eva the girl from the beginning whose mother was killed starts crying and she is stripped swiftly and begs to be killed rather than raped and begs god to save her and the duke is extremely excited by her fear and her pain and he says the whining is this whining is the most exciting thing i've ever heard and he then takes a shit on the floor and forces her to eat it and he also says that because she called on god that her name has to be written in the punish book punishment book so imploring god is against the rules what do you think of that? That imploring God is against the rules. Yeah, like what's up with the, you know, the rejection of God? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think that the thing that's interesting, uh, um, you know, the, the libertines, uh, are representatives of church and state, right? Like they're, one of them is a bishop. Um, and there is like a kind of like constant, like pillaring by them of like all of the institutions of the state and of the church. Um, and like they, you know, part of their like absolute power is like they are replacing all of these uh, structures of power. And that includes God, right? Like they are God right. in their kingdom. And so calling on God becomes blasphemy within within their like, uh, you know, ex I, I mean like fascism is already extreme, but like within their extremist, extremist fascism, yeah, um, like that, that's a, a no-go yeah <laughs> and offense <laughs> yeah i mean it was just interesting to me that that was a major offense to like reference god in any way when one of these men is a bishop supposedly but i guess that also goes back to this idea of like church and state and um the church being a authoritarian figure and it not really being about god at all uh so there's also a criticism here of catholicism itself so the the prostitute senora maggie continues her corpophagia tale um and the president is so turned on that he leaves the room to masturbate i have a note here that's like why even leave the room at this point like <laughs> Yeah, it is a little uh, uh, unnecessary. Right. <laughs> this is when we like get into the really, really hard part of this movie. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if it wasn't hard enough, like forcing a girl to eat shit. Um, and because the, 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 the woman, Senora Maggie, is telling the story about like, uh, somebody who this man who like collected everybody's shit in a vat to eat it and um, the president says oh, we must do that at once as soon as possible so the libertines are now sitting around in their like office <laughs> and they're talking about installing a large tub in the bathroom to collect everybody's feces and no one is to shit by themselves in their chamber pot anymore so even that is taken away from them and the president goes to the boys and girls quarters to make sure that no one is shitting in their chamber pots and one girl has and is reprimanded and one of the boys has two but he's kind of like cheeky about it he's like what so what are you gonna do whereas the girl was like obviously very scared so that kind of goes back to what you were talking about about the difference between their reactions um and the boy they both have their name written in the book of punishments so now we get the third wedding where one of the boys is dressed in a wedding dress for this mock wedding and we're at this horrible wedding dinner feast and there's a huge pot full of shit being served to all of the guests and it's fucking nauseating uh really hard to watch um i read that the actual food that they used to make the shit wasn't 
great either. Like it's like a bunch of food that they just like mushed together to make it brown and then like shaved it. Uh, (laughs) And yeah, I I definitely read somewhere that it was like they were like it was chocolate and other stuff, right? Yeah, and like the actor said, yeah, it wasn't, it didn't, it's not like it tasted much better than actual shit either. Um, so they're, and now they're, they're served all of this excrement and, um, everybody's got to eat it. And it is, yeah, every everyone's eating it. The, one of the men is like, "Eat, my dear bride," to the man, the boy who's dressed as a as a bride, and one of them says, "Nothing is worse than breath without odor." Uh, and uh, one of the girls uh, says, "Eva, I can't go on." So the girls are, you know, at this point, like, just yeah, they're, they're losing done. it. Um. Yeah, and it's like, I mean, just to like paint a picture, you know, this is like a a banquet hall with like silver and china, and the girls are wearing these like cute little dresses that are like sheer white White. schoolgirl dresses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The dresses are so cute. Yeah, so cute. And, uh, you know, the the boy that he's marrying is wearing this like horrific bridal dress with like a veil um and uh this is the scene where you know like there's like a a nazi radio broadcast playing in the background just like kind of casually um and it also it actually reminds me of my my favorite italian word uh from you know i mean the only italian word i know probably from this movie which is mangia which like they're like manja, manja. I know, I know. We were constantly telling people to eat things, to eat shit. In fact, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a lot. There's a couple more things with shit that happen in this movie. Like, what is? And I know I keep asking you questions, and it's it's because you've you're you're just so much more knowledgeable about this than me. Um, what do you think about shit? In Salo, like, what is the role of human excrement? I mean, the a thing I immediately go to, of course, is the abject. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, that's actually on my list of questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's a couple of pieces, you know. I mean, like, I, I, I of course, want to assert, like, a lot of the, the thoughts that I have on the film are just like my hypothesis, you know, like. No, of course, yeah. Like, Film scholars are like rabbis, right? Like, you know, fill a room, everyone has to put everything in. But um, <laughs> just like rabbis. Just like rabbis. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it it's definitely, you know, the, uh, yeah, like Pasolini is, is inheriting from Saad. Right. Um, and I mean, I, I really think that there's like nothing that like fucks with like bourgeois propriety than being covered in shit. Right. Yes. It's just it's the ultimate. Yeah. 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 And like, you know, the the only like allowable sex and 
in their world is anal sex like right it's, it's all about assholes and poop and yeah. um and you know it's it's like uh delighting in in filth um, yeah and you know if it was consensual and not fascist it might be you know kind of delightful <laughs> <laughs> well the the interesting Even thing is what'd you say fully disgusting yeah i mean it's fucking awful like i can watch a lot of stuff as we know but yeah this even i had a hard time watching this yeah no i like i very rarely like gag when i'm watching films Mm -hmm. and it's like i did i did i am a sympathetic gagger so like when um, like when Divine eats like the dog shit at yeah. the end of Pink Flamingo, I definitely like get a little like, <laughs> yeah. Know, like, um, but yeah, like I had two like I had two uh, kind of gaggy moments this week because of you. One was uh, the with the, <laughs> the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover uh, at the end when when uh he throws up while he's trying to eat the right body and then in this one when they're like shoving poop in their mouth oh. and it's, like smearing on their faces oh it's like, so awful you know, they're just like like really getting in there like squishing it around and like the close-up on the plate and i was just like <laughs> it's so awful i full disclosure have only read parts of 120 days of Sodom. Um, I've read some of his other books. Like I've read Justine. Uh, but yeah, I mean, shit comes up a lot in those books. Um, and the kind of, I mean, Saad and Pasolini are existing on in such real, like turbulent political times. I mean, Pasolini like living through fascism and Saad kind of rooting for the French Revolution but it didn't really do him any good (laughs) because he was you know one of the people that was locked up during the French Revolution and afterwards Um, and he was like a lot of people feel like Saad was skewering enlightenment ideas and national identity in his work um Mm -hmm. given that i mean he was also doing the things he was writing about so he was obviously interested in it more than more than purely a satire um Mm -hmm. but then he's using these really disgusting images to and pasolini as well to reveal this like naked interior and strip everything away and everything becomes just about power and pain and um it's you know the abject is this idea of like you have to cast something off in order to live but everybody in this film the libertines in this film are embracing the abject so that it becomes not abject uh anyway i mean yeah shit in film always has to be related back to the abject yeah yeah i mean you know i i think that like uh you mentioned his like skewing of enlightenment and nationalism and like you know pasolini has written about and also a lot of scholars of fascism have written about like 
the enlightenment is a prerequisite for fascism, right? Like there cannot be this like extreme nationalism without, you know, this like first step towards that. Right. And so this thing we think is like, we, you know, whatever that enlightenment thinkers think is like saving Europe or whatever, or is like, you know, a great step in, in a positive direction as really like leading us towards a, this like, uh, extreme violence and um, eugenics and all that yeah, yeah. yeah all of it yeah and like uh you know and i mean i'll probably want to talk more about that when we when we actually get to the scene with the um the summary execution of the right um of the servant girl um but yeah i think that like the thing about Saad and the thing about Pasolini is that like it is kind of hard to tell because like Saad like he yeah he was like into it like right he, this these were his fantasies it wasn't you know just satire just like political or whatever and I think that like you know there's a lot of stuff in Salo that like Pasolini is including because he wants to like he wants to look at naked boys he like yes <laughs> You know, like, that's why there's so much of it. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, the role of women is so strange in both Saad and Pasolini. I mean, women are kind of more symbols to both of these men than they are really any kind of real person. Um, Just, like, kind of how the daughters are symbols of you know god how how do you even say it the daughters are the the daughters of these fascists and it's the symbol of these like evil men's the fruit of their loins and how they'll abuse even them um they have no they have no qualms about abusing anybody um but i think it's i think it's interesting that it's not like the daughters are not the escalation they're the origin point right Right. like the sharks in the family yes which is just accurate so it's just accurate yeah (laughs) yeah 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 it's not like oh you abuse everybody else and then you start abusing your family that's the last resort no it always starts there so that's very very prescient um so the then Senora Maggie tells another story about a man who wanted to eat her shit right before he died. Uh, the Duke drags a girl, Fatima, into another room and tries to force her to piss in his mouth. And after she's done, it's really funny. She says, there, I've finished. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, like, it's not coming. And then yeah. she's like, okay, I'm done. Like, yes. Um and it's hard to pee on command. It is hard to pee on command. The other interesting thing is like how the libertines indulge just as much in the disgusting things that they are forcing their victims to do, like drink piss and eat shit. Like they are reveling in it. It's it's not solely sadistic. It's like they also enjoy it. Um so then Senora Maggie tell is telling stories about more stories about shit while dancing around, and they decide to judge a contest who has the best ass of all the victims. 
And uh, the Duke and the Bishop have this philosophical argument about whether the act of the sodomite or that of the executioner is more absolute, uh, which is interesting. And <laughs> all the boys and girls are like told, told, told to get on the floor with their asses in the air and they're getting judged. And the men quibble about if boys or girls have better asses. I mean, like the, there's like moments of bizarre humor in this film too. Like, oh, look at these grown men arguing about like who has a better ass, uh, which is just completely bizarre. Uh, a boy named Francino is picked as having the best ass, and one of these soldiers goes to shoot him, but it's a false alarm. There's no bullets. And uh, the bishop says, fool, how could you believe I'd kill you? Don't you know I'd want to kill you a thousand times? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's like, that's the, um, the like horror of the humor, right? That it's like, it's banal. Like, the, you know, they're like, oh, ha ha ha. Who has the best ass? Oh, like your prize for having the best ass. We're going to kill you. Yes. And you know, it is like in abject terror like yeah. he, re he knows he's going to die like they're holding him still with a gun to his head and he's like he's like begging for his life and then there's no bullet in the gun yeah like and they whew. yeah it's funny to them um and this idea of like wanting to kill someone a thousand times is also just horrific uh Signora Maggie again tells one more story about a man who only wanted to eat the shit of women who have been condemned to death. So this goes back to your point where you were saying that the uh, the the four whores are instigating, like upping the ante of violence, and uh, they know that the men are going to want to do the things that they talk about. So now they've introduced this concept of killing your victims. Mm -hmm. So now we get to the circle of blood. And the first thing we see is three of the four men, the president, the magistrate, and uh, the duke, and they're dressed in drag. So, uh, so I don't know, like, what... What is the like auntie drag? It's auntie drag, yeah. It's not like sexy drag. Yeah, yeah, they're like dresses like respectable Italian church women. Yes, exactly. Uh, and the role of drag in this film, like, what do we think of that? That happens a couple times. Um, it's you know because we're talking about misogyny I mean, here. It's misogyny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. There's uh, it's it's truly i mean I, I think it's just like deep deep misogyny yeah um, yeah just like mocking femininity at every turn like uh replacing women you know like women don't like women don't need to exist because the family is unnecessary and uh you know like children obviously they don't care about their children their wives like their original wives before they marry their daughters unclear where they are right, right. Like, and probably killed uh, them yeah you know or like or they're like shopping somewhere like who knows <laughs> yeah. um they're in milan like <laughs> um and and they um you know they're like good enough with their their uh, 
gaping assholes yeah and their church lady hats yeah and, ma- and so they're, they're they're engaging in this like uh uh farcical marriage with the studs you know with their like 10 inch cocks and they they exchange these like giant costume jewelry rings and the bishop who who also has a sexual relationship with uh with one of the studs he is wearing this like bizarre like kind of like church of satan looking yes like like the sheer like um like it's not even salmon it's like a um it's red right it's like a it's like a pink red it's like sunset or something (laughs) like i don't know this like weird robe with these like they're not real ram skulls they're like paper mache like ram skulls yes like this like weird mirror headdress yeah it looks like they like uh like repurpose like an art deco lamp or something yeah like it's just a complete mockery of the whole thing so are yeah yeah 100 percent. is this the wedding where they have the calla lilies or is that the first wedding i think that's the first wedding because yeah, every victim there's... is holding a lily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which of course is like, you know, a death flower. But... Right. Um, yeah, that costume is like insane. The <laughs> the bishop is wearing. And right, you know, it's almost kind of like positioning femininity is like in the realm of the bourgeois almost. Um, and yeah it's just it's a mockery of heterosexuality which you know i can sort of get behind um yeah. and yes that's the thing it's like it's a mockery of heterosexuality at the expense of women right, right? yeah that's the difference like... yes which is very i mean honestly a huge problem with gay men still <laughs> so oh yeah absolutely yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, you know, and that's the thing, again, it's like, what is the, the like, uh, uh, seed of truth, right? Like, I remember, I mean, this is like harkening back to years ago, but like, I went to this talk by um, uh, Jack Halberstam, where he was like, oh, yeah, British lesbians, they got really into fascism because they loved uniforms. And I was like, okay, but like, where is the line between liking uniforms and being a fascist, right? Like, you can, like, once you're a fascist, you're a fascist, right? <laughs> right. No coming so, back from that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like, uh, for for all of this, it's like, so Pasolini, like, how, how do you feel about women? Right, yeah. <laughs> question. Yeah, I almost want to be like, hey, listeners, tweet in. Do you know how Pasolini felt about women? No, I mean, honestly, do it. Because I, there's like so much going on here it's hard to talk about it all in one episode. So this is definitely an ongoing conversation. Tweet at us <laughs> about your thoughts <laughs> about Pasolini and women. It just is like so triggering and like reminds me of all the times that gay men have told to me like, oh, you know, I have a complicated relationship with women because I was like forced to like them growing up and now I just have a hard time with women. And I'm like cool uh that's extremely fucked up but it's but it's very common and yeah i definitely thought about that while i was watching this um and also just like how women are raped in this movie i mean the boys are sexually violated but 
the women are straight up am i projecting i feel like the women are raped more in this movie no they i mean yeah there i mean there is more violence uh directed at at the girls right um yeah and and i mean again it it begins with the daughters right like um i i think that uh you know i mean certainly you know not to downplay the the violence that all of them face but it it does seem uh like there is like a particular cruelty that is saved for the girls and it it is like a cruelty that is out of like real hatred right of women right yeah oh and the the two girls and on the sidelines um kiss during the ceremony and they're reprimanded for it um and now the they're they're having that mock wedding with the studs and uh then we see that the bishop is having sex with one of the studs in the most joyless sex scene ever filmed (laughs) they fall off the bed yeah and they're it's like really perfunctory yes but also, again, like with the the giantest cock, like I'm huge. Saying, it's so funny because there's like a scene where, so at the end of that sex scene, like um, the bishop is like walking out of the room, and you like kind of the POV is like kind of from the stud, and so you like who also has like a giant zit on his cheek, which I couldn't stop looking at. <laughs> um, but <laughs> so the the bishop is like walking out, and I like fully expected there to be like just a little blossom of blood on the back of his like white robe right this man just had like definitely lubeless like with like a monster cock and i don't know how he's walking yeah i thought i thought the same exact thing and he looks like he's in actual pain when the guy is like fucking him that's why i was like this is the most joyless sex scene ever because it is like uh, all of the libertines like I mean, even when they're, like, reveling and eating shit, like, the whole time I'm, like, none of them actually like this. They like the idea of it. The whole thing that they're getting off on is the excess. It's, like, that framing line in the beginning. Like, the whole point is to, like, take it to the next level over and over and over again. It has nothing to do with actually being interested in or turned on by or, like, you know, they're they're not actually, I think, excited by any like one thing in and of itself that's a really good point because it kind of goes back to how during the orgy room scenes where the prostitutes are telling the stories the men have to like over and over again like you know grab someone and like try to jerk off and it's kind of like always unsuccessful and it that shows that yeah, no one's really having like a great time here. It's not like, yeah, it's it's more about like the symbol of it uh, than it is about the actual acts. Um, so the stud dresses the bishop in like this gun holster and white robe and slippers, and he enters the boys' chamber, and uh, one of the boys tells him Graziella is breaking the rules because she keeps a photo under her mattress. So the bishop goes to Graziella and demands the photo. And it's a photo of uh, a young man, presumably her boyfriend. 
And she says, if you spare me, I'll show you what Eva and Antoniska do to obey your rules. And then to to do disobeying your rules. And Graciela shows the bishop that Eva and Antoniska are having an affair. Um, and that's against the rules, obviously. So the bishop pulls a gun on them. But Eva says, if you kill me, I can't tell you what I know. Every night, Ezio visits the black maid. And everyone is, like, selling each other out, which is this very kind of comical mm -hmm. chain of, you know, no one's, there's no loyalty in this group, like, which is very obviously, of course, how, it, how fascism works. Uh, mm -hmm. People selling each other out. And the the libertines burst in on one of the collaborators Ezio and the maid having sex and they name? i don't think she has a name she does she... not have a name yeah. no uh and they pull their guns on on them and they're taken aback because Ezio raises his fist in a socialist salute um and yeah they like fully are like physically taken aback yeah like, they stop for like and are just staring that's yeah yeah i mean it's like the first time in the movie that they're like really taken aback by anything um yeah and they riddle him with bullets shooting him even after he's dead and they also kill the maid so yeah yeah i mean this this relationship between Ezio and the maid is also very significant um and yeah i mean like do you have any thoughts about this scene it's it's a hard <laughs> one yeah i yeah and so i mean i kind of want to like i want to give um the maid a, a name which i mean like obviously the character is unnamed but the the actress is um inez uh pellegrini um and she's an eritrean italian actor um and you know, um, I think that the uh, the presence of um, all of the servants who are all people of color, right? It it's a direct uh, result of uh, Italian colonization of um, Eritrea, Libya, and Somalia, and also the occupation of Ethiopia, um, all of which were like extremely violent colonial projects, um, like uh, in Libya under uh, Italian colonization, a tenth of the Libyan population um, was killed. Um, a quarter of a million Ethiopians were murdered during uh, Italian occupation. Um, so, you know, there was like this, uh, this brutality as well as intense uh, ra racism under fascism, right? And so like Italian racism looked different than for example, Nazi racism um, particularly at the be beginning of the fascist part. Um, for example, like anti-Semitism was not a huge part of fascism, of Italian fascism. Um, that really came in later as uh, uh, Mussolini started cozying up to Hitler. Um, there were like prominent uh, Jewish members of the fascist party, but anti-Black racism was a super intense part of, of uh, Italian fascism. Um, and so I think that like there's significance to sort of uh, including that um, that colonial history 
in a way through the the body of the um of the maid and i you know i'm like kind of using the word body really intentionally because um you know if if like uh like colonies are so often represented by like the naked and rapeable bodies of women of color um and that's like what the maid is like supposed to be but it's like subverted by her consenting participation that you know like when um it, it when they like first look at each other her and and the boy what's his name again it's like Ezio Ezio I keep wanting to call him Enzo Ezio you know like they're looking at each other right it's not he's looking at her or like their their eyes meet um and uh and that's why it's like the ultimate crime right um and that's also like I think um you know the two of them like they represent like the real threat it's like the threat of miscegenation, the threat of decolonization, the threat of socialism, like it's all kind of contained in, in this like very short scene. And they're not like, you know, there's no such thing as like, a, a, there's no character development in this movie. Like, it's not like we like get to know their love. It's like literally there are two scenes, the scene where they look at each other and the scene where they're fucking and then they die. Right. So, like, I do think there's a lot there. Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the way that you put it is perfect. And I appreciate you uh, using the actress's name. Um, And it's, yeah, I mean, that's exactly sort of what I was thinking of is like of this, this idea of racial purity. Um, Mm -hmm. It's very significant that he uses the socialist salute. I guess there's like this equation of, you know, of the left with this project of, um, larger project of racial equality. Um, and yeah, um, it's, uh, I find this chain of events, like the chain of the, of them telling on each other and then this death to be, you know, beyond the shit eating, like the most disturbing part of the movie um just Mm -hmm. because it's the only time that anybody is given any actual character development quote unquote uh and it's the just the most hopeless kind of situation uh Mm -hmm. so the next day the boys and girls are all lined up and some of their names are being read and that they're told that whoever is made to wear the blue ribbon can only imagine what's in store for them and the rest if they agree to collaborate can go to Salo with the four men and become collaborators with them which you know like fascism is about to end so it's kind of like a Italian fascism yeah. is about to end yeah I mean do they know that hard to say it's hard to <laughs> say yeah I was that was actually another one of my questions was like do they know that the end is coming um it's yeah i mean i think by this point like mussolini has already like been captured but then like freed by the germans mm-hmm. like i you know i think that um they should know that the end is there but and i i will say i know less about like the um about italy than about germany mm-hmm. and like 
the um the desperation with by which like um or with which like nazi germany clung to the idea of victory is like uh not i mean like not realistic is like a understatement you know yeah. literally like the the um that like the russian troops were like like we won and they're like but did you because we're gonna have a thousand year reich right and they all just snorted another line of cocaine and said let's send our children into war yeah <laughs> which yeah. is not unlike um things now like yeah, yeah so that's depressing um <laughs> to say the least uh so never never uh, underestimate cognitive dissonance cognitive dissonance and like the absolute insanity of fascists um yeah yeah it's it's ideology it's like i mean it it doesn't rely on reality to exist right uh so senora maggie tells the story of a man of about 40 uh with a, with a huge dick who likes to gather 15 women and uh, have them shit in his mouth and then he brands them and kicks them in the behind through an open window into a cellar where each of them is tortured in a horrible way. Also interesting that all of the whores stories revolve around female victims and male perpetrators. But in this world, boys and girls are victims. Um, so I found that interesting and i was i was also wondering what that was about i don't know if i have an answer i just thought it was worth noting um so we then see that the there's like some boys and girls are being made to sit naked tied up in a vat of excrement and one of them cries out god why have you abandoned us and that's one of the daughters yeah and some of the uh, collaborators, the boys, are sitting around playing cards while that happens. Very obvious what that's kind of alluding to. And the Duke is now, now this is when we get the death scenes. And the Duke is watching, they're all in robes, the four libertines, because uh, they have these kind of like leather underwear underneath. And... The Duke, they all take turns sitting in this chair. This is like what I imagined. What'd you say? Sorry. I said, this is what I imagine like straight kink parties are like. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. <laughs> like, just <laughs> gross men in leather underwear. Um, and the Imagining, you know, torturing teenagers to death. Yeah. The Duke watches, so they're all going to take turns, like, sitting in this chair and watching the, them torture their victims outside this window in this courtyard. So the Duke is first, and he's watching, and we see all the torture through the lens of his binoculars, and uh, some of the boys and girls are being tortured now in, like, various ways in the courtyard, like, their dicks are burned with candles, uh, for instance, the, one of the women who has not spoken, the pianist, the woman who just plays the piano while they tell stories, uh, is has, jumps out of a window and commits suicide. So, uh, you know, cannot handle having been complicit in all of this. 
the Duke watches as one of the boys gets his tongue cut out and he says, good, you were ready. And <laughs> a bunch of the girls are raped, hung. Um, the president also watches and, you know, they just take turns like watching the torture. Like somebody gets their eyes gouged out. The, one of the girls is one of the uh, the girls is scalped. Um, and, uh, the, some of the victims are branded on their breasts and their nipples. Um, there is some really, uh, solemn music playing on the radio, but one of the collaborators, the young boys switches the radio and it turns to like very typical dance music, slow dance music. And two of the boys, the collaborators slow dance together and one of them asks what's your girlfriend's name and the other one says margarita and then the film and ends. that's it yeah, yeah. line of the film yeah. yeah yeah it's funny like i was thinking you know the that those uh murder torture scenes at the end it's like the opposite of giallo like there's no blood oh like, I was noticing, well there's like there's a little bit in with the, the scalping yeah but like um you know, I was I was watching them like when the guy gets his tongue cut out. Who it's the boy with the most perfect ass. The tongue, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like his the tongue is like so clearly fake, and there's like no blood, and they're like sawing into it, but it's not actually like cutting. Right. And having watched it, like, and it is, you know, I mean, the whole cumulatively, it's very disturbing. But like having watched number of times this this round i like could really enjoy the like terrible special effects makeup like so that made it like a little bit you know i, I mean it, maybe at this point or by that point in the film i was just like grasping at like any out of like you know really processing what was <laughs> but I, was like, I was like man that's a weird tongue oh uh, the tongue yeah and i remember also the that that image is a lot of uh like covers of the movie like i remember seeing that image yeah and with the title of the movie yeah, like the headlock and you know there's like so many hands on him and he just like that actor has a really good uh uh i'm in terror face yeah like, he's, he's one of the best out. in the movie yeah, that's true yeah um that i mean the, the torture scene is by the time it comes everything has already been so horrific that you're like oh my god let's get this over with like it's it's not even like that shocking at the end it's like this is the logical conclusion to everything yeah. that has been happening what do you think of the final scene i don't know so i actually like this is this is the big question for me and it's a question every time i watch it like you know i and i find like I guess I'm not so jaded that I don't find like a same gender slow dancing uh, uh, like beautiful and you know I'm like and like very precious so like these boys are dancing and I'm like oh my god it's so sweet it is cute in a way yeah it's like weirdly cute and they're dancing in front of this like wall of like uh, of like brutalist abstract like fascist art. Um, there's like an iron cross, you know, like, uh, uh, <laughs> and 
everyone is dead. And then the the last line is so strange to me, like that, you know, if if like in a way the whole project of Salo has been to like birth this new world of of excess, um, you know, where like the only remaining the, the only ones left alive are like collaborators, like uh there's still this like weird innocence and this weird like return to normalcy almost immediately that like is is like was this all like a children's game i don't know i have no idea what to do with it i'm like and where's margarita what's she up to well what's she up to i guess her, her boyfriend is is like out being rapey I guess the way I thought of it was like this weird return to normalcy that these guys think is going to happen after this is done. And like, we know that that's yeah. not going to happen because World War II ends. Um, but yeah, I guess I was sort of like, they're thinking of this as just part of what you do in in this regime. Uh, you just listen to what these guys want you to do and you do it and then you go back to your life and uh, it, yeah again like the banality of it all and also this moment that the two boys have is you know like like how the two girls were finding comfort in each other like they're finding comfort and friendship and in, in each other and warmth that there there's only a few moments of actual any warmth in this movie and it's you know when the two girls are together the dancing between the two boys and perhaps the relationship between Ezio and the and the maid um and it's just a very I mean there was like a, I read that there was a bunch of different endings to this movie and then that was the one that Pasolini ultimately decided on mm-hmm. so yeah yeah, I, I think it's so, you know, it's like they don't, we don't return to the libertines, like we don't see them again. Um, it's it's such a, a intense contrast to, you know, all of these kids who are the same age as the collaborators, right? And uh, who, you know, at times it's like confusing who is who, um, you know, they're all being tortured to death. And then the two boys just like, share a moment yeah it it adds to like the entire surreal nature of this film um do you have any closing thoughts on sallow i mean like we could go on and on but oh my god (laughs) um yeah i mean i think that like maybe or maybe my my closing thought will be this like maybe I'll just note, I guess, the, um, some of the qualities of fascism. Oh yeah. (laughs) Go for it. Uh, Italian fascism, like, uh, there was a a system of corporatism. So they were super like anti-union, anti-worker, but they did this by like, sort of like killing all the like leftist unionists and then incorporating unions into the state. Um, and so, like, everything was about, like, collaboration. Everything is with, you know, Mussolini was like, everything is within the state, everything is for the state, and nothing is against the state. 
Like, so that's the like total power of fascism. But then um, there's this really great book that, that I uh, suppose I would recommend called The Anatomy of Fascism um, by Robert Paxton. And he, he talks about fascism as like uh, being about like violent action, anti-intellectualism, rejection of compromise, contempt for established society, and like a, a, a love of the liberating and vitalizing qualities of speed. And, you know, I was just like, oh, right. So it's, you know, it's a, a not about any belief system. It's just about like uh, ritual, rhetoric, ceremony, uh, you know, uniforms. And then I was like, cool, right. I knew this before, but fuck, we live in fascist America. This, this movie kind of gets bandied about as a film that explores sadomasochism but i really don't oh, no. see yeah, it no. as doing that no. um it's, uh, no it's not it's not an snm film at all like, and it uh, gets put on lists of like snm films and i find that to be really really inaccurate because it's it's not about snm it's about straight up torture and fascism so yeah yeah there's but there's no masochism no um okay so where can people find you on social media oh uh i am at jb Brager on everything so just my name follow them they're amazing maze like you know you you do so many different things and um you're you're just an amazing person and people should follow you so go do that and you you know where to find me girls guts giallo on everything patreon.com if you're still listening to this long ass episode patreon.com slash girls guts giallo uh and uh you can find me there bonus content as become a subscriber all that whatever talking points i'm completely shot after talking about this movie uh i'm like totally loopy Go give your money to to queer horror podcasts. Go. Yeah. And I'm emotionally exhausted. Definitely going to go do some self-care after this. Uh, and thanks again, JB. And I'll see y'all next week.